It lies somewhere between the pit of your stomach, your racing heart, and your brain, somehow trying to keep it all together. It's an area we call the adrenaline zone. I'm retired astronaut Dr. Sandra Magnus. And I'm retired Navy fighter pilot Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. We're two adrenaline junkies who love spending time with people who are really passionate about pushing their boundaries as far as possible. By day, Sarah Arnosky Co. is the Vice President of Greater St. Louis Incorporated, helping to bring the business community together in the Gateway City. But in her spare time, she's an MVP star for the St. Louis-based arch-rival roller derby team. She has a long history in athletics, having transitioned from figure skating as a young girl to ice hockey and then soccer as a teen before taking up roller derby after graduating from Kalamazoo College. Her roller derby name is Bricktator, and this high-speed contact sport will definitely get your adrenaline pumping. Many thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Duncan. Slow-steeped, ultra-smooth Duncan cold brew should be at the top of any adrenaline seekers checklist. We caught up with her mid-season in the Big River City. Sarah, welcome to the Adrenaline Zone. It's so great to have you with us here today. So, Sarah, let's talk about roller derby in general. Where did it come from? I remember watching it when I was little, and it was very bewildering. Can you just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, that's a common sentiment is folks will be like, I remember it from the 1970s and, you know, the the (laughs) Bay Area bombers. and, And I actually... At least what my understanding of the origin of roller derby, at least the contact version, actually dates back to the 1930s. And it has continued to evolve since then. The modern day roller derby that, that I play and that really has been popular around the world today started really in the early 2000s. Um, Austin, Texas really kind of was the hub of the, the new renaissance. And it really has spread across the world uh, today to have about, about 400 leagues um, across the world. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, 400 leagues with X number of teams. That's a lot of people out there skating around uh, in circles, beating up on each other. <laughs> yes, so. you'd be surprised. You just kind of run across, <laughs> you see someone with a t-shirt that says some league and you you know, you know, strike up a conversation of roller derby. So I'll tell you, most of our listeners are like me and don't really know a whole lot about how roller derby works. So so tell us about, you know, flat track, tell us about the rules and the scoring and, you know, take us through how this amazing sport works. Yeah. So to start, there is no ball and there is no net. You know, it's not like many sports that we think of, but what is involved is an oval track. And as you mentioned, it is a flat track. A lot of times in the past, it was bank track, but I think as the sport evolved and it just became much easier, um, flat track really has become more popular. So there's an oval track with two teams and each team has five skaters. Four of them are what are called blockers, and their job is to play both defense and offense. And the fifth skater is called a jammer. And the jammer is really the ball, right? Since we don't have a ball. (laughs) And her job is to get past the blockers on the other team. Meanwhile, they're playing defense on her. And so when the play begins, the whistle blows, we all take off. And the skaters are now battling for position. The jammers are trying to get through all of the blockers, you know, while being engaged. And once somebody gets through, the jammers can then start scoring points. And the way that you score points is by passing an opponent on the other team. And each opponent you pass is a point. And so you continue to do laps where you can rack up points um, for your team. And that can last up to two minutes. 
And once that time expires or, or the play stops, you set everybody goes back to your benches, send out a new group of five, and it starts all over again. Wow. So, so does the jammer have a different uniform so everybody knows who she is? Great question. Uniform is the same, but accessories are different. In fact, the, what it is, is there's, we have helmet covers. So we all have our protective gear that we wear, but the jammer has a, a cover that goes over her helmet that has a star on it. Um, and that's how you would know that it's the, the jammer. Okay. And, and the, the oval tracks are probably not banked, maybe because it's, you can have more tracks that way, right? You don't have to have a specialized thing. You can lay one down almost anywhere. But I would also think that the, you've got centrifugal force to, you know, as you're going around in circles so fast, it's trying to force you off the track without anybody touching you, right? Right. Yeah. You definitely have to, there's a certain shape when you skate the track to make sure you're most efficient, but also staying in bounds. I love speed skating when I was in middle school, so I totally get the attraction. But it seems like this would be really hard to score if you're a judge. It is. You know, that's where it kind of it takes everyone on the team to score points because it is hard. Um, you are literally throwing your body in between other bodies, trying to get past them or to stop them. And so it really is something where you have to be fearless um, in order to really be successful in this sport. So definitely a contact sport. And so what do you guys have in the way of safety equipment? We have our helmet, our mouth guard. We have elbow pads, wrist guards, knee pads, and then our skates. So it's a good setup, but it's not a full comprehensive setup like you would get in ice hockey or something like that. Now, you are a jammer, right? I am a jammer. Um, I pretend to like I know how to block sometimes, but really I was <laughs> I was meant to be a jammer. Um, I grew up figure skating and playing soccer and playing ice hockey. So I had that kind of built in muscle memory to really transfer well into roller derby. So I love it. I love, you know, having the pressure on me to go and score points for the team and high fiving everyone after the fact. Um, it really is something that it brings out a different side of me for sure. So I know there's a lot of skill involved playing both roles. So what are, what are the sort of characteristics of a good jammer versus the characteristics of a good blocker? What's interesting is I think that as the sport has evolved, you get a lot of different skill sets that can be good for any position. Historically, jammers are a little bit smaller, a little bit quicker, but really the way that the sport has moved is you can be a, a, a tall person, you can be a heavy person, you can still have success because really it is about like leveraging pinch points, moving bodies. And so as long as you know how to use your body, you can be successful in roller derby from either a jammer or a blocker's perspective. So the, the pads are important when you're throwing your body at other people at high speeds moving around an oval rink. Yeah. And what does the season look like? How often are you doing this in a circuit? Yeah. So we play basically all year. Each league is a little bit different in how it gets set up. But the way that our tribal roller derby, the league that I am at in St. Louis, Missouri, we have our local season. So that's where we play, you know, intra leagues. We're playing each other where we have a mix of, of skaters on each team. And then we have what's called travel season where we have our A, B, and C teams where we represent St. Louis and compete against other, other cities, other leagues around the country and around the world. Are those like the, the travel teams, all-star teams, or is it just sort of the cream of the crop teams uh, inside your, your own league? Yeah, we have the arch rival all-stars. So that's our A team that will represent St. Louis on the highest levels. So we'll go to the WFTDA championships. That's our women's flat track derby association, the governing body, and they'll host tournaments. 
where we will compete for rankings uh, across all of the leagues. So do you play weekly then or monthly or year round? Is it 52 weeks of, of racing around a track or how does that work? Yeah. So we have practices weekly, multiple times a week. They're geared towards the different teams and the different skill sets. Um, but when we are in our competition season, we are, it, there's usually a game every month, typically, is how we build that out. So this is a, you, you mentioned earlier, it's a global sport. Uh, you know, you've traveled all over the place to do this. Ta- tell us about some of the exotic places that you've been, including the most exotic place you've been to escape. Yeah, that's what the benefits of playing roller derby, you know, we are a skater owned and operated league. And so we don't have major sponsorships that take us places. But when we do go, we really do make sure that we get the most out of the places we visit. So we have, I've been to LA and Portland. I've been to um, New Orleans, Montreal. I've got to coach in Australia, which was incredible. One of the favorite places I never expected to go was a, a city in Spain called A Coruña, which is in northern Spain. It's green. It was beautiful. It was on the ocean. And we really we got to swim in the ocean after games as our, quote, ice bath, you know, because it was a little bit cold. But it really, you know, just every time we go someplace, we really get to experience a little bit of, of what it has to offer. And that gives me the sense that, that this sport is actually growing, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the growth trajectory of the sport? Uh, a lot of people are doing this. Yeah. So I think, you know, as I mentioned back in early 2000s, when the modern version of roller derby was really starting to pick up, you know, there were two leagues and now we're at over 400. And I think what's been most interesting about the pandemic, while it put a lot of the leagues on pause a lot of people picked up roller skating. Like the sales of roller skates during the pandemic went up like 500% or something like that. And so while they may not be doing the contact version of roller skating, a lot of people are starting to get interested. And that's really been helpful in us cultivating, you know, what the growth of the sport could be moving forward. Because once you have those basic skating skills, people that want to be in a competitive space, this is the place to be. You know, I've noticed the emergence of roller skating because I've seen ads for come skate on the plaza or skate down a greenway or something. I loved roller skating as a kid, so it's exciting for me to see. But is it drawn people in as an audience as well, either in person or online? Or are you getting more people watching? We have definitely there's a, there's a a yearning for when the games are coming back from our kind of tried and true audience. And then I think, again, anytime you t- are in a conversation with somebody and you mention you play roller derby, the f- next question is, when can I come watch you play? There's always this level of intrigue. So I think the more we continue to talk about our sport, the more interest there is just naturally because people are curious. You know, Sandra mentions uh, skating. I remember as a kid, I'm old enough that... um you know, we had these horrible skates that had four wheels on them and you sort of strapped them on and. Oh, I remember those. And hope that, you know, they were, they were like amazingly primitive skates, but you, you probably have some pretty high tech stuff. Is, is there anything unique about the skates that you're using on these tracks? Like any, you know, high level sport equipment is everything. Um, and particularly when it comes to skates. And so we have, you know, heat molded boots that are customized with colors and special cutouts. I have an arch, um, that's representative of our league's logo, like sewn into the side of my boot. We have what are called plates. So that's going to go underneath the bottom of your boot and that's going to create your ability to, to shift, um, and create edges. And then you have 
the wheels, right? And the wheels are a whole world of, of details around how sticky they are, how wide they are, and that all depends on personal preference and the, the surface that you're skating on. Duncan is made for everyone with the determination, the drive, and the guts to do something new or who wants to push their boundaries. It's the fuel for every mission, challenging pursuit, or adventure. Whether you're embarking on a new journey or whether you're wrapping up your adventure, you know there'll be a Duncan waiting for you. And if it's speed you're after, order ahead and it'll be ready when you get there. It's simple. In, out, and on your way. You say that the sport is growing as for participants. So what kind of people are attracted to the game? So with roller derby, it attracts people of all walks of life. You know, as an adult, I think we look for community and it's sometimes hard to make friends, to find your, your people, so to speak. Um, and I think roller derby really fills that void for a lot of people. And you can kind of find a, a friend um, that maybe you wouldn't have found through work or, you know, or th through going to a bar or otherwise. It really is a, a really healthy community in that way. How did you find roller derby? I was living in Oakland, California at the time. And I had a friend who found this flyer and said, hey, we should go to this roller derby thing. No idea what it was. And so I went and I was just drawn in to these powerful women that were playing this sport that I didn't understand. Like the rules are not clear when you're just watching. You really need to have somebody explain them the first time. But at the end of it, you know, I, I said to myself, I think I could do this. I think this is something that I could get into. And so without knowing anyone, I went to the local skate shop, got some gear, and then showed up at the next like rookie cohort. And, you know, here I am 10 years later, still playing um, the sport. Kind of sounds like how Sandra and I got into podcasting. You listen to a few and it's like, you know, I think I can do this. <laughs> it's totally the same. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you are based in St. Louis. And so you've got a really cool team name, the Arch Rivals. But I love some of the other team names that are out there, like the New Wheeled Order and, you know, the Bad Attitude and a few others like that. What are some other good names out there that you've run across? And, you know, do you guys have an arch rival uh, of the arch rivals? <laughs> good, good questions. So some of the names of our skaters, you know, do lean into our St. Louis city. So we have Jamheiser Bush playing off of Anheuser-Busch, which is here in St. Louis. Cruella Belleville which is a, a nod to Belleville, Illinois, which is where Sandra is from. <laughs> Cruella, that's a good word. I, you know. <laughs> that's funny. And then, you know, we have Vicious Van Gogo and Smarty McFly and Lux Furious. Um, so people really do think intentionally about what their name is and also how it can be shortened, right? Because if you're on the track, you're in the moment, what do people call you when when in that moment? You can't say, you know, Vicious Van Gogo, right? I can't even say it on the podcast. It's Vicious. That's what I refer to her, right? Or for me, my name is Brick Tater. Um, and a lot of my teammates will just refer to me as Brick. So it was important to know, you know, what's the full name and then also what can it be shortened to on the track? The Bricktator. Yeah, it must be fascinating <laughs> listening to an announcer doing a roller derby call. 
the brick goes past vicious and slams, you know, snarfy McFly or whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, it's a code. <laughs> yes. And even the officials have special names and even the announcers have special names. So it really is an integral part of the roller derby community at large. So you got to put a lot of thought into your name because you're going to be stuck with this for a while. Do they, people ever hang names on you that you don't want? Kind of like happens to a fighter pilot if he makes a mistake or something like that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's ever that we names we don't want. Sometimes it's it's a slight modification of names where like, so I mentioned vicious. Sometimes they just call her fish because sometimes vicious sounds like fish and then it just becomes <laughs> a different name. Shorthand. Uh, Sarah, you alluded a minute ago to communications. Uh, I would imagine during a two minute, you know, intense event skating around this track that you are having to communicate with your teammates, right? So is there a code? Uh, do you guys have your own secret signals? Obviously, you're not going to tell us what any of them are because then you would be telling the world. But I would assume there's some kind of uh, important communications between the jammers and the and the blockers. Yes, we do. We actually do have secret. They're not even secret. We have symbols that our, our coaches will call from the sidelines that mean different strategies. So we have things where like the motion is raising the roof or we have one where you kind of do some fist pumps or one where you kind of where you swing your finger over your head in a circular motion. Um, and all those mean different things. And they're a nonverbal communication, but then we communicate on the track so that everybody understands what those strategies we're trying to implement. So you're actually able to watch a coach while you're doing this, you know, incredibly intense close quarters combat, you know, with your opponents. You can still see the coach. I mean, the idea is that of at least the five of you, one of them can look up and see and then, you know, transfer knowledge accordingly. <laughs> Before they skate off the edge. So how do you how do you balance that competition between the risks? Because you guys are you're going pretty fast. It's a crowd of people. You have you guys are all fiercely competitive. So where does that, how do you figure out that line? You just crash a few times and know, oh, wait, that's too far? Or? Yeah, I think part of when we practice, it's a lot of you practice as you play, right? With a lot of sports. And so knowing that you can't wait until the game time to go hard and you have to, you only make each other better when you do challenge each other. Um, that doesn't mean to be unsafe, but that means to really, you know, use your strength, use your skills and your footwork to really challenge your partners. And sometimes that results in hits that hurt a lot. And sometimes that results in tripping over each other and falling down and pausing to make sure everybody is okay. And then getting right back up and then going hard again. At times we will need to stop and give people a minute um, because things do happen. Ankle breaks are not uncommon. Knee issues, not uncommon. Concussions, not uncommon. And this is something that people know from day one, if the league's setting it up right, this there's an inherent risk associated with this sport. And it's a calculated risk, though, right? Like, we're not trying to hurt each other. We're just pl trying to play hard and making sure that at the end of the day, we are teammates. And this is something we're doing because we love it and we love being competitive. But we want to make sure we can continue to do it as long as we can. You mentioned that it's a two-minute event. But I'm assuming it's, uh, you know, you don't just show up in two minutes and it's all over. There must be a series is like best two out of three and you, you rotate people in from your team. It's not always the same five people. How, how does that all work uh, in terms of a competition? It's two 30 minute halves. And so those two minute intervals are within those 30 minute halves. And each of those two minutes are called jams. And so each jam, you'll bring out a new set of blockers and those blockers are known as a pack. And so that's kind of build out packs with your teammates. You're like, all right, pack 
X versus pack Y. And they, they kind of know who fills in what role within those different organizations. So when I was a speed skater, you know, in middle school, that was our Friday night thing to do, go out and race around the track. It was really easy when you're around the corners, especially to lock wheels with people. That happens. Yeah. And then they just go skidding off into the corner. So that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But because we're on quad skates, right? So the wheels do stick out a little bit on sides of the boots. And even just in the way that our, that we're in such close quarters, it is very easy for those wheels to lock and then you trip. You just want to make sure you don't fall on top of the wheels because that is the part that really hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so what happens when there is a big pileup? I, w- I would imagine it's not uncommon that all 10 skaters go down because it was just a chocolate mess out there. I guess people just get back up and keep going until the two minutes is over. As long as there was no penalty. So we have a series of officials that are monitoring the game and are calling off skaters if they do something that is illegal. So if you trip somebody or you nail somebody square in the back or you hit someone in the face, like there are things that you are not allowed to do in roller derby, despite the fact that fans might might want something otherwise. Um, <laughs> and so in those moments where those big collisions, a lot of times there is a penalty and someone has to go off the track and go serve their 30 second penalty in the box. But otherwise, you know, one of our big mantras is first up, the game is still going on, right? Whoever gets first up, you get the advantage. And so there are moments where there are lots of people on the ground, but the game continues. Yeah, but it doesn't do any good if the blocker gets up. You got to get the jammer up, right? Because the jammer is the one who scores the points. Do the crowds really get into this? Are they yelling and screaming the whole time you're going around the, the track? Yeah, they do. They love it when people ham it up too, right? Like if when we can, we can raise your arms and cheer to the the crowd and people have, you know, their favorite players and they really cheer loudly. They'll make signs. We have a guy that always brings a megaphone, you know, that's cheering, leads chants with the crowds. And we feed off of that. I love big energy crowds. It makes it really fun as a skater too. From fighter pilots to base jumpers to neurosurgeons. Or, you know, the rest of us nine to five hustlers. Everyone needs a bold morning jumpstart or a robust afternoon pick-me-up from a slow, steep Dunkin' cold brew. Whether looking straight down the face of a thousand-foot cliff or staring wide-eyed into a baffling computer spreadsheet, we all need the same thing. So whatever your pursuit, start with a Dunkin' cold brew. So if I was a new person walking into the locker room or walking onto the rink, how are you going to train me up? It's like, all right, here's the sport. Here's what you have to be careful of. Here's what to expect. Here's what not to expect. What what kind of a speech do I get? Yeah, well, in, in addition to like we have a cohort of like learn to play roller derby where it's a six week course and really trying to like build you up. So we don't throw you into contact right away because it's not safe for you or the people you're playing with, right? We're not going to, we want to make sure that you're stable on your own skates. But I think this, the speech that you really get is like, this is fun. We will be your family. That's really not a matter of if, but when you get hurt in some capacity, right? Like we, we have people around you that can support you, but know that roller derby's rad and we're excited you're here. So for the six weeks training course, you kind of start them off a little easy and then ramp them up into the, okay, this is how you're going to get hit and this is how you deal with it. And these are how you score points kind of a thing. Because you got to be a pretty good skater, I think, to begin with. 
Yeah, we. I mean, you work on everything from crossovers to different types of stops to turning around backwards. And then you build into the Love Tap series, right? Where you just get a little <laughs> bit of contact and then we'll build up to really start to throw your your, your hips and, and legs and arms into the person. So speaking of contact, uh, have you ever been injured in this sport? I can't imagine you haven't been. Uh, what was that like? My most significant injury was an ankle break. I was probably about six months into learning how to play roller derby and I didn't even get hit. It's not even a good story. I just literally like went to make a juke and I fell weird and then I couldn't get up again. And I said, my foot is losing feeling. What do I do here? So I ended up breaking my ankle. I do have a plate and some screws that will forever be in my ankle. And that's, that's the most major one. But of course, bruises, scratches, knee tweaks, all kinds of things can happen. So I have to admit, this sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm 57. So is it too late for me to join a, a team or, or is there an age limit? Because this really sounds like a lot of fun. I want to know what your nickname is <laughs> going to be. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Astro skater. I don't know. Seriously. I mean, is there an age limit? I mean, there's a lot of the wear and tear thing, of course, probably has to do with general physical you know, conditioning, but yeah. Do you guys have an age limit? What's the range? No. Really? You can never age out of roller derby. Um, we've had folks that were in their fifties as a part of our league. And it's funny, like it, age really doesn't become a factor in roller derby. You know, we have folks in their early twenties into their forties and you would, we're all just friends. Like they're really, it's, it's all just kind of blends together and there, no one really has an age in roller derby. But we do even have junior roller derby in a lot of leagues where you can start as young as seven. Oh my goodness. Too. So it really runs, runs the gamut. So you bounce back less enthusiastically the older you are, I suspect. But it still sounds like fun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I would imagine after 60 minutes of this and sure you're trading in and trading out and all that kind of stuff, but you must be exhausted and maybe beat up a little bit. But you said you're only doing it once a month, perhaps. So, so you've got a little bit of recovery time, but you're also practicing. Is there? Does it take a while to rec recover from a match like this, or is the schedule more driven just by people's schedules? I think, and I, when I said once a month, it actually is, it's like a tournament usually once a month. So it's multiple games in a weekend, anything from two to four. And definitely it takes a lot to get back up after you playing a game and do it, do it again the next day. We'll joke that we feel like we've been hit by trucks. But we are, you know, you got to dig deep because the other team had a similar experience, right? And so we all kind of understand that it just takes a lot of endurance to make it through a full tournament. Um, and then you do get about a week off. Typically, it's in our schedule to just recover and then go back to practice. So everybody shows up at their day jobs on Monday, kind of creaky and moving slowly. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of day jobs, Sarah, tell us what you're doing in St. Louis. I work for an organization that is an economic development organization called Greater St. Louis Inc. And so we are really looking at how do we create growth in our metro region, everything from policy to business attraction and talent attraction to placemaking um, and really just helping, you know, tell the St. Louis story. Yeah, I grew up in that area and it's a wonderful area with wonderful people. So it's a great story to tell, actually. We think so, too. And I think, you know, it's interesting. We've done some research around St. Louis and perceptions of St. Louis. And a lot of people don't even know they're supposed to have an opinion about St. Louis. 
Um, they know there's an arch. They know about Nelly. But I think, you know, with roller derby, too, we're trying to put St. Louis on the map in our own way and, you know, celebrate the things that the Midwest has to offer that a lot of times the where the attraction goes to the East Coast or the West Coast. And we're like, hey, St. Louis is really rad. And we even have roller derby and we're really good at it. Where do you guys play in the St. Louis area? Where are your rinks? So we practice down in South City, like a roller rink. It's called the Stadium. But when we host our games in St. Louis, we actually host them at Queenie Park out in Baldwin. You know, St. Louis really is a a remarkable community and also a remarkable sports community. You know, can't keep a football team there, but probably among the smartest baseball fans in the country. You know, you go to a cards game and the, and the fans are not only polite and reasonable people, but they really know the game. Just starting up a major league soccer team because St. Louis is a hotbed for soccer. And that's really exciting, I think, for the city. And uh, of course, roller derby is kind of skating under the radar, as it were. But you're growing and people are getting more and more interested. How does somebody go learn about going to one of your events? You can find us online, uh, com, or you can follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, TikTok. Instagram, Facebook, kind of all all of the, the platforms. Um, but our tribal roller derby is the place to follow. I'm definitely going to look you guys up next time I'm in the area. I still have a lot of family back there. So I get back there periodically. But I think I want to come watch a game. Please do. So, We'd love to have you. <laughs> so here's something we really like to ask our guests. And that is, you know, you're getting all suited up to go out and and you know, put your life on the line skating in a roller derby event. Is there any sort of ritual you have before you, you head out on the track? Uh, any little thing you like to do to kind of psych yourself up before you get out there? Like listen to rock and roll music or something like that? What do you do? So it's funny you ask this because before big tournaments, I actually will host, we call them seances. It's not really a seance, but there are candles involved. So we call them a seance. <laughs> and we sit in a circle and we all have our individual candles. And there's some kind of prompt where everyone shares about something they're looking forward to, what doubts are they letting go of so they can be fully present in the games. And we all share. And then at the end of it, we all blow out the candle together and then we're ready to head into the tournament. And it just has become this thing that we do every single time. And it, again, just helps us get in the right mindset. Um, it helps us bring us a little bit closer as we go in before we go into battle. That sounds like the calm before the storm kind of a thing. So is there anything you do after a roller derby? Is this like rugby or you just go home and nurse your wounds? Well, if it's in the middle of a tournament, we go home and we ice bath. So we're in the hotel tubs and we <laughs> dump ice on us and we sing songs to help us get through the pain. But at the end of the tournament, there's often an after party. And we always like to have themes um, for our clothing. And so we've had, uh, as a team, we'll go out all decked out in like outer space, like outfits. Or we've even had dads on vacation where we have our, you know, cargo shorts and button up shirts uh, for our after party. So we really like to, you know, after we work hard, we go, we go have some fun too. That sounds like a wonderful Wonderful experience all around. I, it's, it's great to be on a sport and be a member of a team where everybody's connecting like that. You know, Sandra wants to be a roller derby person, but I think I want to go to the party after the after the <laughs> event's over. Sounds like it's crazy if I can find the right clothing, I suppose. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people get hurt in this sport, but not badly. I mean, it's a, it's a contact sport, but people obviously are surviving it. But I would imagine that some people kind of start feeling it. Uh, how, how does that work? You know, is there anything special that happens to the the injured in this game? 
I think there's definitely like a camaraderie that becomes part of the injured group. Uh, and so in fact, even at we have a what's called RollerCon. It's a roller derby convention that takes place in Las Vegas. And they have all kinds of exhibition games where of different themes. But one of the themes to speak to this question is zombies versus robots. And while they'll dress up as zombies and robots, you only qualify for these teams if you are a zombie because you have some kind of cadaver ligament put in your knee, your ankle, whatever it is, you are therefore a zombie. Or you are a robot. And again, you're all decked out in silver, but that really means you have some kind of plate or screw or rod in your body. And so they have no issues making full rosters for either of those teams because it is so common for folks to get hurt, get sewn up, get fixed up and go back at it. So if you've got a ligament and a plate, you get to choose whether you're a zombie or a robot, right? Exactly. (laughs) That's great. One year play on one team, the next year play on the other team. Exactly. I love it. Well, you know, Sarah, this has been just a fantastic, uh, fun and different interview for us. You know, we we love finding risk takers and adrenaline seekers who uh, do different things. And I think we hit the jackpot here. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. That's been wonderful. Oh, well, I appreciate to be even considered. I know that you have many very uh, accomplished and extraordinary guests. So I I really appreciate you bringing me on. Well, you're one of them. So uh, it's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Thank you both. Our guest has been the Bricktator, Sarah Arnosky-Co, who is a star for the St. Louis-based arch-rival Roller Derby Club. I'm Sandra Magnus. And I'm Sandy Winnefeld. Many thanks to our sponsor, Duncan. Duncan fuels the people who take on every challenge headfirst. And we know the right kind of fuel they need, an ultra-smooth Duncan cold brew. We'll see you back in the Adrenaline Zone next week for another episode with people who live to take risk. It's time for this show to go viral, so be sure to recommend us to your friends. Adrenaline Zone.